Hey empaths, it's episode 11. We're talking about healing and how you have to do it first before anything else and especially before pointing that finger at the direction of your partner. Love is a powerful source. In life we must stay the course. No matter how hard it gets. We always gotta do our best. So believe in yourself. Find the courage within. Transform from the inside out. Let your healing begin. Ooh, I'm an empath in love. I'm an empath in love. Welcome empaths. Listen to the words of the great lover, she who of old was known as Aphrodite, Inanna, Frigga, Venus, Hathor, Parvati, and by many other names. She who sparks the attraction, inflames the loins of lust, and encourages soulful unity. Behold the goddess made manifest on earth between people for the sake of humanity and in search of divine love. May her words guide you. Today we're pulling from the Divine Love Manifesto. Going through each of the things that Aphrodite has gifted us with regards to what a relationship could be. I hate to use the word should, and so I won't. It's potential. It's guiding. It's not a thou shalt. Instead, it's a suggestion. But when I received these from her, they were so rich. I couldn't help but write them, and I had to share them. And then what happened is that they really puzzled me. And so I'm taking these time in the podcast to really break them down individually. So this is the second one. Healing must take place before change can occur. Healing must take place before change can occur. So I was asking myself, what about this is true? How true is it? When there's trouble in the relationship, any kind of relationship, we tend to want to blame the other person. We want to blame our partner our parents, we want to blame something for the reason that things are this way. We might even blame situations. And because of this pattern of blaming, we can become trapped, trapped and stuck and just unable to figure out how to move beyond it. The wisdom of this piece of guidance that Aphrodite gives us is that healing must take place before change can occur. And when we blame our partner, we always want them to change. It's hardly ever about us. I mean, how often do you have an argument and you say, well, you made me. I'm so mad because you. Well, where's the ownership in that? Somebody can just open up your heart and like poke around and make you feel something? I don't believe that. I mean, it feels true. But the more we think about it, it's not really that true. So what is true? When we want our partner to change and blame our sweetheart for the way that things are, we close the door to compromise and other kinds of solution because we've already got it all figured out. And it's not our fault. And we can't do anything. Right? We have to wait for the other person to come and, you know, get their head out of their ass and make changes. 
When I do couples counseling, I don't do it anymore. And for this very reason, but folks would come in and they would bring their partner and there were really only a couple of uh, types. Either one of them really wanted to fix the relationship and would do anything. And by fix the relationship, they wanted to come in and have me fix their partner. It was usually the husband. Um, Or they really wanted to leave their partner but weren't sure if their partner could handle it. And so they would stay out of a sense of guilt and obligation. Or one of them had had an affair and the other one felt very betrayed and dragged the other one in. And so one person had their foot outside of the relationship, out of the contract of the relationship. And so what they would do is they would come in and sit down and proceed to argue. (laughs) Couples would argue for about 45 minutes and then they would look at me and ask who was right and ask me to fix the other person or point out how ridiculous their partner was being. And so I felt triangulated and like kind of used and the whole experience was awful. And I think it was awful for everybody because nobody wants to come into a little room and have all of their faults laid out. Nobody wants to come in and be blamed for things and told to fix things or have their side like ignored or try to control their temper the whole time in order to make something happen. And then we, the couple would do that for a little while and then they would leave and they would say couples counseling doesn't work. And I was like, wow, this, this doesn't work for anybody. (laughs) This is the worst feeling in the world. So I don't do couples counseling anymore. And instead what I've discovered and what Aphrodite is supporting when she says this healing must take place before change can occur. And when you're locked in a room with a therapist, there's not quite an opportunity for healing. It's more about gainsaying or proving or demonstrating. And it's just not the right, it's not the right arrangement. And I'm like, I think I'm the problem because sometimes they don't argue before they come in. They save their arguments to then have in front of me because they, they want to like do it right or show that one of them is correct and therefore the other one is wrong. And it's this us, it's this like me versus you mentality and it's tearing their us apart. And it, it hurts to watch. It hurts to watch couples and lovers and married people who purport to love each other to get escalated and then try to break it down and try to be kind to each other when really they're just too mad to even talk. They're too injured. And then what happens is what I call the mutual rejection cycle. So one of them will say, you did this to me. And the other one will say, yeah, but you did this to me. And so I'm not going to do this for you. And I'm not going to hear. And I'm mad. The other person's like, well, I'm mad that you're mad that you're mad about that thing. And it just goes round and round. And so sometimes we see it in, in sex a lot that one couple, one person will initiate sex and the other one doesn't feel like it or is angry or hurting somehow and rejects the other person. And so they're like, why should I bother? It, it hurts too much to be rejected like that, to put myself out there. And then the other partner is like, well, how come you never try? <laughs> why do we never have sex? Like, will you always say no? Well, you didn't even ask round and round. It's a really terrible spot to be in. 
because no healing has occurred. And so you just hurt each other over and over and over again. The world is hard enough out there. There is a lot of things to be afraid of and worried about. And when you dedicate yourself to somebody, it doesn't matter if you're married or what your structure is, but when you decide, like, it's us, we're in love, we're a family, then when folks turn against each other, it just makes it worse. It's like, now who's on your side? Because you're not going to find a lot of connection out beyond your family. Who's going to care for you? Who's going to listen? Who's going to scratch your back on that spot you can't reach, right? That there's a lot of advantages to being in a family. And so when they turn against each other, it's like there's no, there's no safe place. There is no safe haven. Haven. And the world becomes even harsher. And I think there's a kind of double trauma there. And then one of the reasons why it hurts so bad. And to me, one of the reasons, the biggest reason then to get your relationship figured out and to gain the skills that you're missing is because we spend most of our time in relationship with other people. And that you've got to know that there is somebody at home or who loves you, or just on the other side of that text message that gives a shit about what happens to you and that believes in you and trusts you and acknowledges you as a human being and that you get to do that for also. The world is hard enough. I think about that story, the myth of um, Persephone's abduction in the underworld, the myths of Demeter, and how when Persephone was taken away, her daughter, Demeter was like, and nothing shall grow. Until this, until she's back, I'm not letting anything grow. And because of her inability to come to terms with what had happened and her defense of what is right and true, because kidnapping a child is not okay, um, in her perspective, that's, that's what was going on and standing up for her daughter's rights and her own rights as a mother. And she's like, then nothing will grow. And as the goddess of agriculture, that's that's pretty problematic, I would say. And the people began to starve. No surprise there. And because they barely had enough themselves, they didn't have enough to sacrifice on the altars of the gods. Typically, you would do like a first fruit or um, the entrails in animal sacrifice are offered to the gods and that the gods would use that sacrificial energy to um, to have power and so Zeus came to her and sent uh, well he didn't himself because he's a you know he wasn't ready to <laughs> sent his his messengers to come and shake some sense into Demeter and like you know, why are you doing this? She's not dead. She's just married. And she's like, I don't care. Until she's by my side, nothing will grow. And the steadfastness that until healing could happen, that she would she would not move on. And because she was so powerful, it means no one else could move on either. That nothing would grow. And that the humans would starve. And therefore the gods would receive no sacrifices. And maybe the gods would starve in that way too. So it was a very powerful gesture. 
and her, her it was her unacceptance of change in that way and the way that things went down a strike if you will and a powerful one but we can see how detrimental the inability to move on is and the catastrophic effects that it had and until her daughter was in front of her telling her herself I'm okay I'm married now things have changed then she could have healing and could see that maybe there was some good from this after all and because of that she changed everything no change can happen until healing occurs and so she went together, Persephone and Demeter lifted the blight and um, all could eat. And there was much rejoicing. And that's how we got agriculture. <laughs> Hooray. Thank you so much. We need that. I'm not joking. Food is the basis of everything. So when you are stuck and your partner is stuck too, I want you to remember that they're not doing it on purpose to anger you. People are the way they are because of deeply held and often unconscious beliefs that they have about themselves. So, and different, different teachers will teach it differently, but this is how I, this is how I teach it, is that those deeply held, mostly unconscious beliefs create thoughts. So if you're, um, if you're Demeter, and your daughter has been stolen, then the, the unconscious thought underneath it is about the self. And they're always something like, I'm worthless, I, um, I am not valued or important, uh, nobody loves me. They're those kinds of thoughts. I'm dirty, um, nobody will come for me. And they're rooted typically in childhood Um, They are even rooted in um, birth, right? In the birth experience and even in the womb, very unconscious aspects. And I might do a whole talk about that, but I just want to touch on it today. So that's where those beliefs come from. And then what happens is that we create evidence of them. Everything seems to collude with this belief. And that's where the thoughts come from. So if, um, if Demeter believes... Perhaps she believes something like, um, I can never be alone, or being alone is dangerous. Then the thoughts that her daughter has stolen are uh, those of, I'm in danger, um, this isn't fair, I need her in order to feel safe and empowered. And those thoughts create feelings, feelings of, I mean, there's not really a lot of feelings there. I think they exist mostly on a spectrum and then they are, um, there's different, um, intensities of them. So there's fear, um, which people could say scared. Uh, anxiety is a kind of fear. Anxiety is the fear of feeling the feeling. Um, there's anger, but people may also say frustrated instead of anger because it may be too hard to be angry or wrathful, hurt or betrayed, I think are on the same spectrum, jealousy is on there, Um, sadness, loneliness, which I think is a kind of sadness, so you can see how they're, they're on the spectrum, so those thoughts 
um, are reflective of those beliefs and the feelings come from the thoughts. So then the feelings, we think we're rational creatures, but actually we're very feeling creatures that actions come from feelings, typically not from thoughts. And you'll hear people say something that's pretty rational and it is a good thought, but then they act totally differently and it's because they feel differently than the thought that they're expressing. And that's why certain things can happen to certain people. Like maybe the same thing happens to two people, but they react completely differently to them. And part of it is that they're feeling different things, but they also have different core beliefs about themselves. So if Demeter's core belief is, I'm all powerful and nobody can take that from me, then her thoughts uh, might be, um, you know, Persephone's not gone. We just have a different way of being together. And then her feelings would be maybe sad instead of angry, uh, maybe more content, maybe curious even of what happened rather than angry. And so her actions would be different, right? And in this story, she withdraws the life-giving crops and fruit and grains, and so nothing can grow. And because of that, it creates the current state of famine, not just the physical famine, but also the spiritual famine, because people couldn't give to the gods what was their due. And I think that is forgotten in the story, is that there's, there's famine on many kinds, many levels. And that current state of being, hunger, loss, creates a pattern. So then the thing would happen again. So it would happen on a small level. It's just these people in this place on a bigger level. That's why women who are, well, people who have been abused typically find themselves in situations where they are abused again because, not because they can't tell the difference, because they can, but because those beliefs about the self, I'm worthless, I deserve this, create thoughts and feelings and actions and current state of being. And so they attract something that's like that. It's the belief that attracts. And those patterns happen over and over. And enough patterns create a life. So when your partner is, you know, pissing you off, acting a certain way, making you sad or disappointed or angry, tuning into that belief, because that's what's being triggered, is your belief that you already have about yourself. And so their behavior is just colluding with that belief. It may not even be their behavior. It might even be your perception of their behavior. I know that one of the themes in my relationship is criticism. Who is criticizing who? And I don't consider myself a judgmental person. Um, But sometimes my partner sees it that way, even though I don't mean that. And it's a button for him. It's a known button. And so anytime that's pressed, he's, you know, takes it pretty hard. And sometimes there's nothing I can do to not push that button. You know, I, I... It's like, I didn't say that. (laughs) That's not what happened. Why do you think that that's the case? It's because it's already a belief. You know, the belief underneath that thought, you're criticizing me, is a kind of, um, probably a shame one, some sort of I'm not good enough, right? I think we take criticism pretty hard when we we don't feel like we can stand up to it or withhold it, or we feel pretty, uh, 
like our force field is thin, right? So enough of them make up a life. And talk therapy, uh, CBT in particular, which is the popular going talk therapy at the moment, it gets to the actions and the current state of being and starts to see patterns and goes down into thoughts and it kind of thinks of feelings as like secondary as sort of like well because you had a false thought you therefore had a false feeling and I don't believe that's the case I think feelings are authentic and important and that you have a right to feel your feeling whatever it is and hopefully you have someone in your life that can help contain that with you and just sit with that what would it be like to be as sad as I really am or be as scared as I really am I think that's really important to have somebody in your life that can do that with you that doesn't jump in to try to fix things and you know what sometimes that person is not our partner maybe that's not their strong suit and we often expect our partner to be able to do that for us and and maybe there's something unfair about that project a lot onto our partner we expect them to be there for us and take care of us which is lovely but that's the role of a parent (laughs) and not necessarily the role of a partner So all of these things come together and healing must take place before change can occur. And so we we can offer up healing for ourselves because honestly that's the only thing we have control of. So I no longer see couples in couples counseling. I see one client and then I have, um, or one partner, and I have um, another clinician see see their partner or their sweetheart because they need they each need a place to heal. I don't think most couples are ready for couples counseling. I think they need to have their own healing first. And then the magic is when you heal yourself, your partner doesn't bother you so much. Their but they don't push your buttons as easily. You love them more because you are more loving with yourself. And that's the truth of it. I could fix a relationship I hate that word fix, but I I can have real healing in a relationship by only seeing one person and never seeing the two of them together because a skillful clinician can offer healing for the individual. And that's the part that's so important. Healing. You don't need your partners in on that. You could do it your, you could go on your own healing journey yourself. And part of it is what am I thinking and believing and feeling about myself Because those buttons are going to get triggered in other ways. And because our partners, our sweethearts, our lovers are close to us, because we've allowed that, it means that they have like the royal road to pushing the buttons. They know what they are. They're in close proximity. The likelihood of them hitting it is really high. So the next time you want to point your finger at your partner, maybe ask yourself, what do I have to believe in order for this to be true? Hmm. I said, oh, we are empaths in love. We are empaths in love. From the bottom of my heart, I want you to know that I am so grateful that you are in my life. You are so special and the world needs you now more than ever. To show my love, I have a present for you. 
go to www.empathsinlovepodcast.com for free resources and masterclasses just for empaths like you. You can get the ebook Conflict Resolution for Empaths. You can take a course to reclaim your personal power or even apply to work with me. I'm always adding cool stuff onto there. You'll discover all things podcasts and can join the mailing list for awesome tips for living a life you love and using your gifts for good instead of evil. If you appreciated the show today, show some love by leaving a five-star review, subscribe so you don't miss a thing, and share it with your friends. Brightest blessings and all my love.